0: We're back in the book of Revelation. If this is your first time with us, hang on. John sees a vision of God Almighty in heaven and in control in chapter 4. He sees God's son, the the hero of heaven that we just sang about, who alone is worthy to take hold of, of the plan for history, who is all powerful and all wise in chapter 5. And so what he's seeing, this vision he's seeing, is is God is sovereign and his will is holy, that the Lamb of God, the Savior, that the Son of God has come and is worthy to take hold of the plan, the plans that will unfold the creation, the recreation, and the restoration of all things. And it begs the question for those first readers of John's vision, How is it if God's in control and and the Savior is reigning supreme? John, how is it that we still suffer so much persecution and misery and tribulation? That would have been the question that John's first readers in those seven Asia Minor churches would have been asking, begging for an answer. It's a question that we still ask, but in a different way today. Maybe you're coming here with the same question. I know many of our friends and neighbors will have this question and have had it for all of time. How is it that if God is so powerful and in control and so good that there's still suffering in the world? John's vision is is filled with symbols and, and metaphors and tons of allusions to the the old testament and and lots of figurative language so that's why we really have to put on our thinking caps but in chapter six that question that why question finds an answer it includes the answer to that question but but first before we get to that answer it's set up by what comes before first you have to to be seeing and believing that God is in control in chapter 4. And you have to be seeing and believing that the Lamb is worthy uh, to come and and take hold of that plan and, and unroll that plan that started from His first arrival and His final reckoning. You have to see and believe what we saw in chapter 4 and believed in in chapter 5 before we get to the answer to the big question here in chapter 6 and really 6 through chapter 16 and to the end of the book. Then we'll be able to believe with, with our heart, with our soul, with everything within us, we'll be able to believe that God does right and God does good. We need help to be able to see that. And believe that today. I don't know, but I need help seeing and believing that today. Like like no other book in the Bible, read this book with the help of the Holy Spirit, like, saying, Holy Spirit, open my eyes, like give me special glasses, spectacles just to see what's really happening. Then like no other book in the book of, of the Bible, Revelation helps us see the past and present and future events in order to believe the answer that he's given us here, and to make our faith stronger. Now, again, I want to warn you, this is not an easy, breezy, light, and airy sermon, okay? Hang on, we're going to be looking at the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Raise your hand if you've ever heard of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Okay, so we're, we're somewhat familiar with this subject matter. As we begin, I want to to first state that this is the first series of of what the scriptures call plagues, seven plagues, these these first seven seals and then seven trumpets and seven bulls that depict the final judgment of God on an unbelieving world. So what we're going to do is I'm going to read a little bit and then talk about it and then read a little bit more and then stop and pray for help. And talk a little bit more and preach a little bit more. And we'll just walk through this passage together. Verse 1. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals. And I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse. And its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him. And he came out conquering. And to conquer. John sees one of the the four living creatures for each of the four horsemen. And we've talked about how numbers are very, very significant in the book of Revelation. They have great meaning and import. But the number four is the number of universality, it's a complete number. Like the, the four winds or the four corners of the earth, it's a number that represents all things. And so the four living creatures represent all of animated life. And these horsemen are symbolic descriptions of the whole history of the human race. John John sees a vision of the whole worldwide reckoning and impact that these four horsemen represent. If you're taking notes or for your small group, a parallel passage would be Zechariah chapter 1, verse 8 to 17, for a parallel. The first one comes riding. On a white horse don't let that white horse deceive you this is not a hero this is an anti-hero this is the anti-christ we might get confused here because later in the book in in revelation 19 verse 11 the king of kings comes riding in on a white horse where do all of our stories get that idea of the king coming in on a white horse it's right here from scripture but don't be deceived No, in fact, this is the Antichrist. The Antichrist tries to mimic Christ, to deceive us. Jesus warned this would happen. In Mark chapter 13, verse 6 and 7, another parallel passage would be Matthew 24. But for Mark 13, verse 6 and 7, it says this. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he. And they will lead many astray. When you hear of wars or rumors of wars, Don't be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. This antichrist, this first rider on the white horse is armed with a bow and a crown. So so likely a military and or political leader disguised as a Christian, disguised as the one coming in, our brave knight coming in on a white horse to make everything right. But instead comes only to destabilize order and expand their own realm. And this will be a sign that the end is near. The first rider represents satanic force conquering through deception and persecution or both. Don't, don't leave yet. Don't. Leave. There's more. People are like, gosh, what did I get into? Keep going. Verse 3. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come, and out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should should, should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. The second horseman riding a bright red horse, red symbolizing blood, kind of on the nose symbol here, refers to to warfare that's broken out. When peace is taken away, what's sown is, is suspicion and fear, and war breaks out. And even now we see an increase in these end times. This rider brings only bloodshed. Verse five When he opened the third seal, I, I heard the third living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a black horse, and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. Remember, these are, this is a vision that John's seeing, experiencing, trying to record. The third horseman on a black horse carries scales. For, for measuring grain. And we see here that this grain, food, is at an incredibly inflated price, representing scarcity of resources and injustice in times of war. What happens when there's strife and war? People wonder, where's the food? Nations like our own will drop food, but where does it go? It goes to the rebelliers, not to the people. That's what we're seeing here. We see in the time of war, this is resulting from the, the second horseman taking away peace. So, so war devastates food supplies, and it devastates the environment. And along with that is, is the breeding of greed and abuse of power that leads to hunger. But the prices here noted are superinflation, 10 times the amount that anyone could pay. A middle-class family could not support their family with these kinds of prices, let alone the poor. will suffer and begin to starve. And not only is that unjust, what else does it say? Notice it says, the voice says, quote, do not harm, what, oil and wine, luxury items. The luxury items for the 1%, oh, we'll make sure those are taken care of. We'll make sure the wealthy people and the powerful and the influencers will be cared for. I'm trying to make it relevant to you. Do you get that? Are you picking this up? Yep. Picking up while I'm laying down? Okay. Number seven, verse seven. When he, again, who are we speaking of? This is the lamb. This is King Jesus. When he opened the fourth seal, I, that's John, heard the, four, the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its, rider, its rider's name was Death. And Hades, that is the grave, followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. Corrupt power leads to war. War leads to famine. Famine leads to epidemic disease that ends up in the grave. If they think, oh, terrible plagues and disease, the black death, that was from such a long time ago. We don't hear about pandemics nowadays, do we? Just this morning. This is human history. Between his first advent, between Christmas, the arrival of Jesus and his final reckoning and his return. This is what the four horsemen represent. The four horsemen ride across history with devastating impact. Power, war, famine, death. These are the things that we try to protect our children from understanding or, or hearing about, right? Oh, until Christmas when they get their first Xbox or PlayStation. Then they can play games. They play, play games of war and death Now, I said that there was a question that was answered, a big question. The big question of how can this be? If God is all-powerful and all-good, why is there still suffering? We haven't really gotten to the answer. Where is the answer to the big question of why? If God is so good and so powerful, why, John, are we still suffering? Put it another way, if God is in control, then why is the world so chaotic? Look again at the text. Look at your Bibles. Do you see? Do you see it? Holy Spirit, help us to see it. This vision is in the throne room. Look at where we've been, chapter four and five. It's in the throne room of heaven. What were we just doing when Rob started? We're like, how are we doing today? We're doing great. Why all the glum faces? This is like chapter six. Ten minutes ago was chapter four and five. They are in the throne room, but they haven't left the the four living creatures they're the ones that are singing praise to God holy 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 is the father and they they are the ones calling notice they're the ones saying come to these horsemen look at the text the first one is given underline given is given a crown before conquering the second one was permitted underline permitted verse 4 to take peace from the earth it's given, underline, a great sword. And that quote about hyperinflation, inflated prices for the third one, it's given from a voice. John says, I think it's coming from over there, by the throne, by the living creatures. Look at verse 8. Read it again. They were given, these four, authority over a fourth of the earth to do their worst. Now, do you see, when the lamb is on his way, there is resistance and opposition resulting in misery, terror, and suffering. And ever since King Jesus was installed on the throne of the universe, the four horsemen of the apocalypse have been trying to take his people down, to divide people, to spread darkness over the earth. That's part of the answer. That's what these first four seals are teaching us, part of the answer of why. Paul writes in Romans chapter 8 that all of creation is waiting. He says all of creation is groaning in anticipation to being set free when the king finally comes. Like everything is falling apart, Paul Paul sees. Things are just completely going haywire. All of creation knows it. Men and women are in denial of it, but Paul says all creation is waiting for this, this violence rising. The violence rising is directly in proportion to humanity's resistance to Jesus and his way of non-suffering, non-violent suffering. Let me say that again. The violence rises directly with human, humanity's resistance to Jesus and his way of nonviolent suffering. Jesus predicted this again, Mark 13. Let me read verses seven and eight. He said, when you hear of, of wars and rumors of wars, don't be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of of birth pains. And then he said to his followers, to his disciples, to Christians, he said, be on guard. Be on guard. My friends, you have a choice. Our community has a choice. Our nation has a choice. The nations have a choice Don't go the way of the lamb, and greater clashes and conquering will increase. Don't go the way of the lamb. The second seal opens to greater degrees of violence. And think about the horrible violence that mankind can come up with. Don't go the way of the lamb, and there will be greater injustice and greater scarcity of resources. Be fighting for clean air and clean water and food. And number three, don't go the way of the land. The rise of pandemics. Is God in control? And is God good? Yes and yes. Nothing happens outside of the sovereign will of God. But God is not the author of sin. That's on us. The answer to the question is this. Listen, God allows evil forces to inflict trials throughout the ages as both a consequence of sin or in order to purify and strengthen his church. These four horsemen are given authority over a fourth of the world. God's in control to serve his greater purposes. Either as a consequence of our own sin or in order to strengthen and purify the church of Jesus Christ. John's telling his readers, trust in Jesus and you won't be disappointed. That's the message here. So when Jesus was on trial before Pilate, and he was brought in on trumped up charges, and it was a kangaroo court, and he was dragged before religious leaders and beaten, and then dragged before Pilate, the the Roman governor, Pilate says this, don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? And Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Even the injustice of Pilate and the horror that followed, even that serves God's purposes, And so we can claim and lay our our hope on seeing and believing it's true. Romans 8, 28, God works all things for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. That's the point of chapter 6 of Revelation. That's the answer to the question that bothers so many of us. Whenever in history the church has been faithful to its call, bearing testimony concerning the truth tribulation has always followed whenever the church of jesus christ has stood its ground for what's true and what's right tribulation has always followed and so if we're here saying well i don't know anything about tribulation i don't know anything about trouble it might as well be a video game only 1% of our uh, of our citizens serve overseas and wear our, our nation's uniform are we missing something? Or has the enemy already won? For the world, it's punishment. For the church, it's spiritual advancement. That's the point John wants to make. And he wants to ask you and me from this text, do you believe it? Are you living it? Are you living in the way of the Lamb? Revelation 14.4, the key operative message of the book Follow the way of the Lamb wherever he goes. Verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who've been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. This is the fifth seal. John sees what happens to the martyrs of faith. And this would have brought great com- comfort to his first readers. Friends, brothers and sisters of John's, and of those seven churches, their loved ones had been martyred. A friend, a neighbor, a believing brother and sister had been snatched in the middle of the night. No sign of where they were. Friends, neighbors, sons and daughters of friends at church snatched in the middle of the day, never to be seen again. And John wants to make sense of it all And he sees this vision that says that the martyrs of the faith, those who've given their life for their testimony to Jesus, are now, it says, interesting, they're under the altar. And and this isn't a bad place. It's in the temple, the the, the sacrificial blood offering would pool under the altar. And so like that offering, in the same way, these saints have given a great offering of even their lifeblood to the cause of the kingdom. And they cry out. Again, this is a symbolic vision that that John's seeing and hearing. They're crying out to the Lord to answer their prayer, how long? And yet, I don't want you to think this is like personal vengeance, like the way we probably would want vengeance if someone had harmed us or a loved one. How long, oh God, where will the vengeance come? For remember, the first martyr, Stephen, as he was dying, as he was being stoned to death for following Jesus, he prayed that they would be forgiven for what they were doing. No, they are yearning for the coming of the great day when the holy and beautiful plan of God in Christ will be publicly revealed. How much longer, O God, must we wait until you make all things right again? How much longer until justice rolls down, O God? And the whole rest of the book of Revelation is an answer to that prayer. And the Lord tells them, wait a little longer till the whole number has come in. And look at what they're given, white robes of victory symbolizing their their victory that they have conquered, that they are right now, right now. What, What a glorious promise and encouragement to Christians that right now they are with God in righteousness and holiness. What a comfort to to John and to his readers to endure to the end by faith in Christ, that they weren't going to be defeated, but that in all things, God works all things for his ultimate glory and for our ultimate good. John's preparing his readers. He's preparing us not, not just to reject a false gospel, a false narrative that the world has for us, not just to reject a false hero, but to embrace and hold tight to the true gospel and the true hero of every story, and then to wait for his justice to come. Now, as a little bit of a aside, these seven seals that we're looking at, there's a repeat, but from a different vantage point seven seals, there will be seven trumpets, and seven bulls. These are all views of the same rollout of God's plan in chapters 8 through 16. They are not sequential. They are different perspectives of the same sequence of events. And so we'll see if you're taking notes. Numbers 1 through 5, whether it's the seals, trumpets, or bulls, are the realities of history. Number 6 is what happens at the end of history that we're about to read. And then number seven is the final judgment and beyond. And in this case, we're going to look at that in two weeks. That's in chapter 8, verses 1 to 5. We'll have a, a little, a little respite, a little aside in chapter 7. So let's look what happens when the sixth seal is opened that has not been opened yet, to put your minds at ease. Verse 12. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold... There was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth and the moon, the full moon became like blood and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Parallel passages. Isaiah 34, verse 4 and following. Ezekiel 38, verse 19 and 20, Joel 2, 31, Nahum, chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. What a terrible scene depicting the final judgment of what that would look like. Notice he he mentions sun, moon, and stars. These were things that people of his day turned into idols that they would worship in our fallen nature, we we turn all sorts of things into idols. Anything that you rely on more than the Lord God can be an idol. So that that thing in your pocket, like, I better make sure the battery's charged, it won't help. This is the worst case scenario. All the idols, all the things we rely on, all the prepping that we do, John saying, it will fail us. Verse 15, then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in caves and among the rocks, of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us, Hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. Who can stand? When the fifth seal was opened, believers that were martyred cry out, Oh God, when will you come? When will we see you, Lord Jesus? Come, our greatest hope and, and desire is to see you face to face. And yet when the sixth seal is open to an unbelieving world, they hide in caves and pray that rocks would fall to hide them from the wrath of the Lamb. This event will be the great leveler for the 1% and the 99%. Look at this passage, 1 Peter 4, 12 and 13. Peter's writing to Christians who are suffering. They get what we're talking about because they're in the middle of it. He says, dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you. Remember the two reasons why these things have happened for the church. It's to test, to strengthen, to purify our faith. Don't be surprised as though something strange were happening, but rejoice, rejoice. Inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. In the weeks after 9-11, I saw my first church packed, balcony full of people. Remember those days? This was in Minneapolis. I don't know what it was like at SeaTac, but National Guard posted at all the terminals the airport. And there was a, a, a dad, a husband, who uh, had started to come with his young family to church and wouldn't uh, release his children to Sunday school. He, he held them close. He wanted to meet with me. And I said, sure, let's, let's meet. And, and he was an emotional wreck. I can picture in my mind right now his hands and, and sweaty. And he said, I haven't slept in two weeks. What are we going to do? I have to protect my children. I'm thinking of running to Canada. It's not that far away. Maybe we can hide there. He's asking me for wise advice. Note to self: Sometimes the wisest thing is not to say anything at all. I don't. We talked, and what we landed on—himself landing on it—was there's no place to hide. Do you remember those days? We had no idea what would happen next. There's no place to hide instead of running to Canada, he started coming to a program we were offering called Alpha, which was a a Christian discipleship program for for non-Christians, for young believers, for parents like himself who maybe grew up in the church but had lots of questions, the big why questions, why is there suffering in the world if God's so good and God's so strong? And that's where he found shelter. You know, we have a saying The students know this really well. Are you future ready? Are you future ready? Is your family future ready? Friends, if you have not trusted in Christ, then you are not future ready. Find shelter under his cross today. That's where the shelter is. Remember this vision of seals and trumpets and, and bowls are, are the same event from different perspectives. We've yet to see seal six and seven open, but it is coming. Are you future ready? It's not too late. This is a preview of what's coming. And I wouldn't be surprised if some people, some people even watching online turn it off. Maybe there'll be some that say, oh, I don't want to go to that kind of church that's exactly why I stopped going to church that preaches that type of stuff. Well, I'm here to tell you, this is the God honest truth. And we are doing a disservice to people by just giving you, spoon feeding you, have, have a great day, here's how to be the best you, and not preaching the truth. And the truth is, this question has one answer. The question that the people will ask won't be about suffering. Look at the question, who can stand That's the final question that the 100% will ask. Who can stand? And the answer will come in chapter 7. Who can stand that great day? We'll learn in chapter 7. Only the one who kneels, who pleads, I have no hope but you, O Lord Christ. The one who hopes to stand will kneel before him. Friends, I've committed the rest of my natural adult life to seeing God's children come to him and find shelter through Maple Valley Church. It is such a privilege to serve with you and to witness what God's doing in and through this place. We, we talk about campaigns and, and fixing the lights and, and, and if Lord wills it to, to build more room. you know what we're doing? We're bringing a shelter here the kingdom of God is advancing. You see, there's going to be struggles. There's going to be tribulations. We're going to have people in our church more and more finding it hard to be a Christian. And we know we'll be doing it right. Amen? We know it'll be hard. That's when we're doing it right. When it's easy, then the devil's winning. That's the message of Revelation today. Let's pray. So, Lord God... The question to the greatest the answer to the greatest question. How could you be all powerful and all good and yet allow suffering, Lord? You've given us an answer here. And we need to answer that question for ourselves. We need to respond to you. Will we go the way of the Lamb? The way of nonviolence? The way of of love? The 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 way of service? Or will we go the way of the world that leads? to war and division and greed. Oh God, by your Holy Spirit, open our eyes to see and touch our hearts that we might know what it means to kneel in order to stand, to lose something of this world that we might gain everything in heaven.